freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 346 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd, and our theme today is Fate of the future and our guest today is connor boyack connor is the founder and president of libertas institute a free market think tank in utah named as one of utah's most politically influential people by the salt lake tribune connor's leadership has led to dozens of legislative victories spanning a wide range of areas such as privacy government transparency property rights, drug policy, education, personal freedom, and more. A public speaker and author of 30 books, Connor is best known for the Tuttle Twins books, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles. Connor lives near Salt Lake City, Utah with his wife and two homeschooled children. Welcome back to the show, Connor. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. And you know what? It's so funny about the word homeschooled. It, you know, it used to be something you'd hear once in a while, you know, it was kind of like a, a neat um, idea that people would aspire to, but then real life sets in and you're like, uh, okay, I'll just send them to public school. But it has become something you hear, I think multiple times every single day right now what what do you attribute that to and and what caused you guys to be homeschoolers because you're ahead of the curve you've been doing this for a while yeah we, we were doing it pre-covid before it became cool to homeschool <laughs> um you know homeschooling across the country has tripled uh in the past uh year and a half and there's been just this massive influx uh, of, of people parents who are choosing this alternative approach to educating things uh educating their kids it started for me, I'm, I'm a product of public school. I went to public school my whole life, went to college, didn't know any better. And uh, among other things, I was exposed to the writings of John Taylor Gatto. Gatto was a G-A-T-T-O. He was a 30-year teacher in New York State. One year, he was awarded the New York City Teacher of the Year. I believe, believe it was the following year, if not soon thereafter, he won New York State Teacher of the Year. Um, in the very year that he received that award, he wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled, I Quit, I Think, in which he goes on to explain how for three decades he had been trying to work within the system, but felt at the end of his career that he had been hurting children 
more than he had been helping them. Not because of his own efforts. He was trying to really help these kids succeed and thrive and so forth. But because he was participating in and doing it through a system that deprives children of their curiosity, their independence, their initiative, and suppresses them into a homogenous standard that someone else has decided for them. And so try as he might to inspire children and get them to be curious and passionate about what they were learning about, et cetera, he failed and quit and decided to go write books and go out on the public speaking, public speaking circuit. This was in the late 80s, I believe. So I read one of his books called Dumbing Us Down. And it resonated so deeply because as he articulated all the problems from his perspective of the public school system and the process and the, the structure, it, it, it like just resonated so deeply with like, yeah, that's why I didn't like that. And yeah, that's how I, why I struggled there. And so I was engaged at the time. And so to my fiance, you know, I gave the book. I was like, what do you think about this? And it both clicked with both of us to the point where we said, we want nothing to do with that. She also went to public school. She saw the same problems. And so we decided from the outset to homeschool our kids. And it's been a tremendous blessing. Do you think that's why the, uh, increase in uh, homeschool is because people are home now, the, the parents are learning that the kids are not learning anything in school that's important. Uh, and so they that, decided that, to do it. Yeah. I mean, you've had many parents who are seeing through Zoom what their kids are learning and they're like, really? You know, it's, it's that <laughs> kind of stuff. And then you've also got this issue which relates, which is that you have um, kids at home or last year, especially at home, and it's like, dad, I got done in an hour and a half, what takes me six, seven hours sitting in class. So then the parents are like, wait, why are my kids sitting in those classrooms if they can get the work done that much more quickly and then do whatever they want or do other things. Um, and so combination of reasons, you know, then you have critical race theory and you have all these things bubbling up that have led parents to really realize that, hey, wait a minute, like there are all alternative opportunities and we can choose different things if, if needed. Well, every tool we can get to help with that is so valuable because during the, the lockdown, our uh, oldest granddaughter, she was six at the time, she's seven now, it, because of my work schedule is the most flexible of any of us. It fell to me to be the big time air quotes, homeschooler. And I, I realized that I lacked in a lot of ways, but there are so many tools out there and you guys have just offered another tool to people, um, an educational magazine that you've got. Is it, is it actually out yet or is it soon to come? Um, so our first edition comes out uh, for October 1st. So here just in a couple uh, uh, you know, days uh, by the time you're releasing this episode. And uh, what we actually did is we created a special edition issue number zero that we sent out to, I think about 140,000 people who had previously bought our books to say, hey guys, we're doing this new product. Here's a free example, you know, sign up to get more. This is all at tuttletwins.com slash magazine. And for us, it's a way to reach kids on a more ongoing basis. They read our books, they like our books, they do the curriculum, the activities, whatever. This is a, I mean, like when I was growing up, I had Boy's Life and uh, was it Highlights, I think. Mm -hmm. but like so many of these things have gone woke and, mm -hmm. you know, weird and everything. And parents don't really want those anymore. And so this is 
a trusted brand, important content that parents can get for their kids to get in the mail every single month. So we're just at the cusp of launching here. And what's the name of it? Uh, so it's called the Tuttle Times. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the Tuttle Times monthly magazine for kids. Fantastic. I'm excited. I'm going to be getting that. I bought a bunch of the Tuttle Twins books for my granddaughter and we enjoy reading them together. And so to have kind of that regular thing coming in the mail, uh, I think will be fun and exciting for, for both of us, really. I do remember, you know, getting those subscription magazines. I do think it was like highlights or something when I was young and it was always exciting. Oh, that's a mail for me right? You know, it's like, I'm a kid and I got mail for me. So were you nervous when you first started, you know, thinking about homeschooling your kids? Because I, I wouldn't even know the first step, how, how, how to make sure that my kids are getting a real value. How, how do you do that? That's a really important question because many parents feel exactly that way. And it stems from a big misunderstanding of these parents about what homeschooling is. Many parents, when they decide to homeschool, feel like they need to be the knower of all the things. Mm -hmm. They need to be the teacher of all the things. I need to be the science teacher and the math teacher and the English teacher. I, and I feel inadequate. And therefore, now I feel stressed because I don't remember these things from school very well. So how in the world am I going to teach them to my child? That the, those um, expectations create conflict and create a big problem for these parents. I wrote a book a few years ago called Passion Driven Education, and it lays out, and John Taylor Gatto, who I mentioned earlier, actually wrote the foreword uh, for that book, which was a deep honor for me since he was such an influence. Um, in that book, I lay out how homeschooling really works uh, or should work in my view, and that is, hey mom, hey dad, you don't need to be the knower of all the things. You are instead a resource provider. Here's what I mean by that. In modern school and in many homeschools, kids are on a, on a uh, conveyor belt, right? And they're stamped a certain way and they're modified a certain way and they're, they're shaped and they're, you know, and, and you go from one age to the next and every kid is treated the same, like they're in a factory, right? Here's the curriculum. You must learn this at this age in this way as you move on to the next thing. It's a very industrial model of education. True education is more based, especially for younger children, is more based around the ideas of agriculture than industry. Now, I'm a gardener, but I, take, I can take like zero credit for anything that happens in my garden. Why? Because I'm just a resource provider. I bring the soil, I bring the water, God provides the sun, I sit back and I watch. And those plants are pre-programmed to do whatever it is they're gonna do. Maybe I'll pluck some weeds or do a little fertilizer here and there, but I have a very minimal role in simply bringing resources together to let nature work its magic. It's the yeah. same way with educating kids. Rather than putting them on a conveyor belt and saying, you must do all these things at this time, we need to recognize that our kids are pre-programmed and they have passions and interests and curiosities and frankly, even a purpose in life, I feel like, where all we need to do as parents is bring resources together. Hey, what are you interested in? Hey, cool. Let's do this field trip or let's do this online course, or let's go to the library and get books about that. Or let's watch this documentary. It's wherever the kid is going in their life and you kind of paying attention to that it's bringing resources together to let the innate nature of the child take over and really drive all of this, um, you know, deep desire in learning 
And that's critical because how many of us go through school and we're forced to learn information and it's pump and dump, right? We pump it in our heads and then we dump it out after the test is over. And we ask the teacher, when will I ever need to know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? And oh, you, you, you need to know it someday, pipe down. But we never do. Contrast that against you and I as adults. Anytime we need to know something, if I need to learn how to like edit a video, Mm -hmm. I go watch videos about that, or I take a course about that, or I read articles about that. And I, I remember that information because it is deeply meaningful to something I need or want to learn how to do. So it's the same way with our children. And in passion driven education, I talk about how parents can do this um, in a way that, um, that excites kids to learn and is not a huge burden on the parents. Like, uh, because again, you don't, you're no longer the knower of all the things. It's simply like, Hey mom, can you Google, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you can Google, chances are you can find your child the resources they're going to need to learn about whatever it is they want to learn about. Connor, I don't awesome. think I could have got a better example of how that's done. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it, we are as kids, they were forcing us to be what they wanted us to be. Mm -hmm. And so we really couldn't breathe and, and branch out. We were kind of stuck into one thing. So uh, making kids research and learn, then they'll find that thing they like and pursue it probably more willing because they're not forced into it. Right. Yeah. It's innovation yeah. and, uh, you know, rebels for lack of a better word that created the nation that we enjoy. So, you know, why try to we're all homeschool? Yeah, <laughs> they were all homeschooled. I love it. The things that irritates me, the things that I I learned that I didn't need, I learned a lot that I didn't need to learn, but the things I needed to learn, I didn't learn. That's true. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, this is amazing. So our children, you know, are our future, right? And so I think starting with this topic of, you know, how to properly prepare them through the things and the ways that they learn is an important starting point. But I titled, I borrowed the title of your book for our theme today, Fate of the future, one of your great Tuttle Twins books. What, I mean, this is a big question. What is the fate of our future, Connor? I think had you asked anyone that, you know, a few years ago, no one would have ever predicted how crazy things are now. And so, you know, I think that's why resiliency and, uh, you know, mm. being able to adapt and, and be flexible is so critical, especially for kids. Um, but what is the fate of the future? In that book, we give a little taste of it. In my mind, it's this question of how do we resolve conflict? Because there's always conflict. There's always disagreement. Should I get vaccinated or should I not? Should I, as a business owner, be able to let whoever I want come in or not? Should I be able to travel? You know, all these different things. And there are people who disagree, but how do we resolve that conflict? How do we disagree? Is it through top-down command and control decisions so that one man, President Biden, can issue an executive order and dictate to all these businesses that if you have an arbitrary number of employees or more, then uh, you, know, you have to get vaccinated and so forth. Can, can one person, should one person have that power and force it on the rest? Uh, should, should, to ask that further, should power be so centralized, right? up to the top levels of our government that those types of decisions can be made. Or conversely, should power be decentralized and pulled down from that apex of power so that individuals and families and communities can make whatever decisions are right for them and that there's a tolerance 
for people who disagree, kind of a live and let live approach, a laissez-faire approach, right? You do you. We've moved away from that in America into this like Karen, uh, you know, is the nickname, this Karen approach where we're shaming one another for being insufficiently, you know, compliant with what the emissaries from on high have, you know, told us is the right thing to do. Um, and, and people have become, especially fueled by social media, very comfortable in shaming one another and pointing out and calling out one another versus this kind of, I'm going to do what's right for me, you figure out you and, and we'll have this mutual respect. The respect is kind of gone and it needs to be brought back. The fate of the future is if we continue to centralize power at the top, we know how this goes from history. When you concentrate power, it'll be a big fight over who gets to have that power and then use it to oppress those who disagree with them. Uh, we look at the founding of our country, the, the real genius of it was the decentralization of power and having an intentionally weak government. Um, so that's the fate. Do we wanna have more freedom like we had in the early years of America or do we wanna slide into authoritarianism like every other country in the history of the world and lose the uniqueness of what the American experiment once was? Well, there are two illustrations. There's a bunch of illustrations in your book uh, that I love. Um, but this one here, it shows, you know, so we've got a coercive gang. I think people can see that, right? We got these kind of, you know, street thug kind of guys. And, you know, the paper says demands or else, right? And then there's the state. Oh, they're, they're just such friendly looking people, right? But then it says taxes or else. And there really is a, a coordination there uh, between the two. And then it's kind of summed up on this page that there's a difference between persuading people, right? And then coercion of people. And so this one says, please buy my stuff, please volunteer, please donate. <laughs> this is buy my stuff or else, volunteer or else, donate or else. And I think we are way too seated right here in that, that place of coercion and mob mentality. And, you know, like you say, the weight of the Karens, I feel so bad for my friends, my personal friends who are I named Karen, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, you know, those Karens, not you, but you know, yeah. the other Karens, you know? Um, and I, I don't know how we got so far from the live and let live principle that is what I was raised on it was me and, and three brothers when I was quite young. And then when I was older, now there's seven of us kids in the family. And it was, you know, keep your hands to yourself, keep your nose in your own business. And that's how we kept peace in the household. And it worked. And now it's, it's very codependent. It's very, you know, I'm unhappy with my life. So I'm going to try to impose myself on your life. I, what's the road back? Any idea? Yeah, that's tough. Um, it, it, it's this contrast between civil society and an uncivil society. Again, that tolerance for others versus this expectation that my way or the highway. And uh, those who have the ring of power typically don't want to relinquish the ring of power. So th this is an important question. How do we restore that, that idea of you know, tolerance, permissiveness, respect? Um, I don't know. This is something that I struggle with. I, I, I see it deteriorate. We see throughout human history how it deteriorates. I, I don't really know of many good ways to bring it back, except for one. Um, in, in war, 
governments have to grapple with this idea of how to get soldiers to kill one another, to kill mm-hmm. other people. How do you get a human to kill another human? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a tough thing to do. A lot of soldiers struggle with it, especially you see the PTSD rates and you know suicides in the military and everything else. The way that you get a human to kill another human is rather easy. You dehumanize the enemy, right? You have to get the soldier mm-hmm. or wow. whoever to see the other person as subhuman. When uh, the torture in Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay blew up uh, years ago, one soldier came out and said, well, we were just told they were enemy combatants, scum of the earth. Like if, if people had told us they were other soldiers, we probably would have treated them much differently. But mm. they, they engaged in this barbarism because they were told that these people were, were vermin. The Nazis exterminating the Jews, if you go back and look at all the systematic efforts that were used, you can put them all under the category of, of, of dehumanization, putting them in cattle cars, putting them in ghettos, uh, making them wear you know, different identities. Um, in, in the gas chambers, what gas did they use on the Jews? It was a pesticide. Mm. They used a pesticide on, on the Jews, reinforcing this idea that, that these are just pests, these are vermin to be mm. you know, extinguished. So, so in fact, the, the, the Japanese were being pressured into by the Nazis to similarly uh, treat the Jews and you know exterminate the Jews and so forth. And there was this one fated meeting where uh, a Jewish uh, clergy, I don't, I don't know that the terminology very well, but one Jewish leader uh, communicated with or had a meeting with this high-ranking Japanese official. And the, the thing that shifted the whole Japanese mindset away from the German mindset as it pertained to the Jews was that individual, that Jewish individual said, we are Asians like you. And obviously a different part of Asia and and whatnot, but but that humanization of the Jewish people led the Japanese to see them much differently. So anyways, the point is dehumanization is how we can violate other people's rights so easily they're not like us, they're worse, they're, you know, whatever. And so what's the antidote to that? I think it's efforts to humanize other people. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, look, I may not get vaccinated with COVID, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to kill your grandma. I want you to see, you know, me for who I am and some of the tough decisions I'm making and what I'm going through in my life. And the more that we can create empathy and, and, yes. and help people see our humanity, even though we radically differ from that. It's so easy to talk like superficial talking points and buttheads and you're awful, <clears throat> go Trump or whatever people want to say. But, but if we can share stories about our lives and help people emotionally connect, I feel like that can help. I don't know if it's the solution, but I think it's a solution because when Nothing other people see it. us as humans like them, they're going to have more respect for us. Well, I, I see that one thing that could help us is that people are starting to realize what's going on. I mean, a lot of people are waking up to all this, but the thing is that the government is still, they are pounding on us that if you don't to the people that if you don't do it the way I say it needs to be done, then you are a bad person and you are not a a human Mm -hmm. because you can't, you know, so they're feeding us with that. But I do see a lot of people waking up and go, no, no. I hope you're right. I do. Because I, I, can't agree with you more that, you know, again, it might not be the solution, but it's a good start. It's a excellent start. Um, 
so just kind of expounding on these ideas, politicians at every level are overstepping anything that our founding documents uh, allow them to do with their limited power. And every day, it seems like there are several new insults to our freedoms. Often, like we know something's not right about that, but we don't know exactly what it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with our level of education. How much time did our families spend talking about our founding documents and our freedoms and how important they are? Um, but you have a podcast, I love what it's titled, The Way the World Works, that offers us little bite-sized wisdoms uh, to help us keep up. And, um, you know, you recently, I, there were so many, uh, but what were some of your most popular episodes that seem to really be resonating with people? So our intention behind our podcast is, you know, mom is running errands with the kids in the back. She's got 15 minutes, you know, let's keep the kids busy. Let's have some like edifying thing, you know, give, give something for us to talk about as we then go through the grocery store aisle together or something, or we're taking the kids to school and we got a little bit of a drive. Like we wanted these little nuggets rather than this, like, you know, hour long thing. So all of our episodes are about you know, 15 minutes long. And it's been fun because uh, to your question, especially the episodes where we talk about something dealing with history, that um, those episodes are very popular because I feel like parents struggle to break down big complex historical events mm -hmm. into something bite-sized where you know, their kids can understand it or understand just a piece of it. And so those have been very helpful, I think, to a lot of parents to just say, let's just talk about this piece or let's, you know, plant a seed here and you can go look for, you know, a YouTube video or watch a documentary or something about more. So the, the historical ones I think are important. And that I think is, is um, been very informative for us because what we're seeing over and over again from all the families that read the Tuttleton's books is this recognition that, there's very little good history material accessible to kids to help them understand these ideas. And so we're actually working on some new material along these lines to respond to that because it's a kind of a widespread feeling that a lot of parents seem to have. Wow. That is phenomenal. And I find myself, you know, I've got like three tabs open. So I'm like, I don't want to forget to listen to this one. I got to finish this one. And then, you know, something comes on the news and gets my attention. So I, I love how you've, you've structured them. Um, among the things that seem to be under attack these days is our financial system. Uh, there's this push for a cashless society, which I think is an absolutely horrible idea. Um, inflation is already gobbling up the value of our U S dollar crypto. It's a murky. I don't get it. My son-in-law is all into it, but I I'm trying to understand it, but it feels too much like that push towards cashless. Um, I, I just don't quite understand all of it, but your newsletter that you send out recently mentioned the 50th anniversary of president Richard Nixon, something he did called the new economic policy. Uh, what was so significant 50 years ago, a half a century ago, that is impacting us today in that realm? That event is effectively when the United States finally got off the gold standard. 
previously, countries could exchange gold at a very, you know, fair or low rate. And so a lot of gold was leaving the United States and people, as the dollar uh, continued to run into problems, it made gold even more enticing. But President Nixon and his buddies didn't like that the dollar was being um, treated so poorly effectively that people were wanting to get rid of their dollars. And so he basically disconnected gold from the dollar and, and shut off the ability to trade at that low rate, uh, which allowed gold to basically, you know, rise with the, the market rate and, uh, and, and basically divorced the United States government from any type of fixed gold standard. The, the modern implications of that were, if you look at any chart for federal spending and the value of the dollar, uh, anything that's dollar denominated, you know, in the past half a century, it's just massively exploded. Why? Because no longer did the United States really have to have any gold reserves to back up what they were doing, which would restrain their creation of new dollars and their spending of dollars. Now it was just funny money. Ever since then, it's just, you know, sky is the limit. Let's print whatever we need especially with things being digital, the Federal Reserve can just with the stroke of a button say that there is now more money in circulation, Oink, you know, and, uh, and it's all digital. Uh, yeah, cashless society is a problem. Uh, I'm a big fan of blockchain and crypto specifically for its ability to decentralize. There's a lot of uh, technological opportunity to tear down power from the financial structures and all the corruption. But um, it's critical that we retain the ability to transact anonymously with one another. Mm -hmm. And the government, of course, wants its hands in everything. As we speak, there's a congressional proposal that the Biden administration is pushing to lower the uh, government's, uh, uh, the, in increase the ability of the government to snoop on your bank accounts. Right now, it's if you're moving $10,000 and up and they want to lower it to $600, $600. Which, would, which is insane. And it would just, what's interesting about that is you talk to any banker, anyone in the government that deals with the SARS reports, which is what they're called, the 10,000, like if I send you $10,000 right now, it'll trigger a SARS report. It'll sit on some bureaucrat's desk. Nothing happens. There's a mountain of them. They do nothing to inform anyone. It just creates massive paperwork and waste. And so you talk to anyone involved in that and they'll be like, are you kidding me? Like, it's not even useful to do it at 10,000. Why would we just scoop in all, all, all the rest? Point is, it creates financial surveillance for the government to increasingly be aware of all of our financial transactions. Removing cash basically is giving the government more ability to know all of our economic uh, transactions and, and activities that we personally take, which is a big problem. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really scared of the money thing. I mean, other countries have just got rid of their money. They're, they change it. And they say you have so many days to turn it in. So you can't have money hoarded. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, this is scary. And $600, they'd, they, they couldn't create enough man hours to, to track that. No. There's uh, no way. It, it really it should definitely raise all of our eyebrows as to what what's the ultimate purpose of it since they can't really keep on top of it and track it because so, so they can pinpoint somebody if they yeah, want i'm to. like they're probably going to say if you have any more than 600 in your account thank you that rest of that belongs to us i think yeah. that's my own personal <laughs> theory but um you know there it's so hard to figure out you know dan and i are, are moving into the years of our life that we should be able to you know, start retiring, whatever that looks like when you're self-employed. But, you know, it, the idea of how do we 
protect what we've worked for? Where do we put it that it's safe, that it's not going to be taxed to death, you know, on and on is really hard to decide. And there was a time in history, I think we're, we're looking uh, at, at part of it, but when you know more about this than I do, Dan, when it was actually made illegal by the federal government. Yeah, you couldn't hold gold. To own gold. It had to be on jewelry, the only way you could have it. Like, how do you, how did people go along with that craziness, right? But they could do it again. And we're not the only country that did that too. England did it mm -hmm. during World War II. So they, they banned I, gold. I guess I'm gonna have to figure out this crypto blockchain stuff and listen to myself. Well, they're, they're on that too. They're on that heavy right now. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. if I, if I can't touch it, do I really own it? I don't know. But the stock market works, I guess. That they are so irritated that people have money, that some people have money, and that and they're irritated that they can't get to it, and they're going to find a way to get to it, mm. just the way it is. So well, money is control and it's power, and uh, these new innovations threaten to disrupt the status quo, which many people have neatly tied up in their favor and tried to very carefully protect. And so anything that disrupts that status quo is seen as a threat and threats have to be squashed. Um, so, but what I like about crypto is, is it basically no country can ban it. I mean, there, there's nothing to confiscate, right? And so uh, other countries have been upset and they try and like China kicked out all the miners, which is all the computers yeah. that are doing the calculations, but Bitcoin's doing just fine without China. It's a worldwide, you know, standard and all those miners just went elsewhere and everything moved on even though china's you know left out and depriving its people so th there's a lot of opportunities the thing i always feel bad for people for is like they like cash but our cash is being massively devalued yeah. right if you're not investing your money you're losing money because yes. the inflation rate is outpacing any savings rate that even exists anymore there's basically no more savings rate uh, many countries have a negative savings rate. They will punish you if you have money in your account. Uh, they, they will take money out. Negative, like the negative savings rate. That's just insane. And they'll literally take money. Um, and so, you know, it basically forces people to go invest, um, you know, maybe go into hedges like gold and silver and try and, you know, preserve your wealth. But, but to grow it, you have to go invest, which leads to these massive, you know, bubbles in the market because everyone's throwing their money in there trying to make more money. Um, it, and it's now just they want to tax it. They want to tax your gains, even if you don't take the money out. Mm -hmm. Well, that's yeah. There's a lot of proposals to tax even more the capital gains and add even more barriers to it. So it, again, I mean, clearly the government wants its peace and they want to control people. And uh, none of this is new. I mean, this has happened for a long right. time, just in gold and you know other forms of money. It, it's just something that I think we need to be aware of and and be able to push back against. Absolutely. Well, um, this next question, it just makes me kind of smile and giggle a little bit every time I think about it. This socialist magazine called uh, titled Current Affairs, they take issue with you, sir, and your children's books. And so they were writing a scathing uh, article, an expose, wouldn't you uh, have? And mm -hmm. instead of their article in any way harming the, the truth of the books that you put out, uh, I think it actually helped uh, sell quite a few. And um, you, it tells us also that about your book called uh, How to Not Suck at Life, which is your new teen book. 
And so I was like, well, you know, doesn't that take us right back around to socialism, right? How to not suck at life. Maybe don't be a socialist. I don't know. Is that in your book anywhere? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, this new book just came out. Uh, it's not a Total Twins book. It's just one of my other independent books. And born of this idea that I hear from so many parents who are struggling with their kids following these influencers that are just idiots. And, uh, you know, supporting socialist ideas and everything. So I wanted to create a resource where it's like, look, if, you, if you're really serious about wanting to be a, a competent, successful adult, here's some ideas to pay attention to while you're in your teens. Um, and uh, on the day we're recording this video together, we actually launched the book today. And Amazon already sold out of the many thousands of books that we sent them. So we're furiously trying to get them more copies so that we can hurry and, and, uh, and get those over. Um, and, uh, and so your other question about the, the magazine that wrote up uh, about us, it's funny, right? Because many people would be upset that like, we're being attacked and oh no, they said something mean about our books, but no, like we shared that article with our whole community, our whole email list, guys, look what they're saying about us. If you don't like what those socialists are saying, come get our books, show them who's boss, get the Tuttle Twins books. And we sold 10,000, over 10,000 books in 24 hours. Um, and so I, awesome. I tagged those, those guys on Facebook, the, the, the socialist magazine, like this is like six months later or something like, Hey guys, I'd really love to sell a lot more books. Would you be interested in doing another hit piece <laughs> against us? And they still haven't, but we'll, we'll see. That is fantastic. I, I just love it when stuff boomerangs back like that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that's awesome. Well, I could keep talking to you all day. Uh, There's so many things that you uh, talk about through all your different products and all your different works that are so important. And I really encourage everybody to to follow you and check you out. Are you trying to say something? I just, Connor, I just, that how not to suck at life. Is there a <laughs> chance you could send those to every politician that's out there? Just, you know, as a, maybe give them an autographed copy or something. <laughs> Great idea. You know? Because uh, right a lot that. of a lot of them need some help. There's a couple that okay, but uh, we need yeah. to send it. I love that idea. I love. <laughs> we just we just had um, Constitution Day, and uh, I did a, a quick little side podcast, and I, I said, you know, we should actually call send uh, Constitution to all of our representatives and call it your Oath Reminder Day, right? Mm, because like they it. all take. Uh, the oath to protect the, the constitution. Half of them don't even remember they took the oath. Half the oath of them for what? never what? even heard what? of a constitution. Yeah. What would I put my hand on what? I know. Connor, please tell folks how they can follow all the work you're doing and buy up all of your amazing books. Well, thank you. I, what many of your listeners may not know if they already know about us at Tuttle Twins is now we have books for toddlers. We have books for teenagers. Um, we've coming out, we're coming out with a cartoon. Um, certainly the magazine, which you mentioned. So there's a lot of stuff you can find all at tuttletwins.com. You hit that products link and you will see all of the stuff that we now have. You can reach out to us that way all across social media. Just look up the Tuttle Twins. Uh, we're trying to reach as many people as we can. So of course, we always love everyone's help and sharing the link and, and uh, our social media stuff with their friends and reaching even more families because we got to you know help educate more kids and help them understand what's really going on in the world if we want to fight back and preserve our freedom. So thanks for giving me your platform and uh, the opportunity to spread the word a little more. Absolutely. We're definitely going to have you back on again. And until next time, we will all be thinking about the fate of the future. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Connor. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Wow. Connor how to not what a busy guy how do you not suck at life i know i love that title Can you imagine? and today as we're in the studio it is monday september 20th of 2021 connor said they launched how to not suck at life it's sold out but by the time that we publish this episode on what day are we publishing this the 29th of September, I bet he'll have a whole new crop of books out there. So be sure to look for those, right? Yes. Wow. What awesome. a awesome interview. And that's when we have these interviews like this, that's what gives me the hope yeah. that things are going to change. Yeah, absolutely. Know? There are still people out there with their, their finger on the pulse of, of what is going on, what's wrong and giving us valuable, tangible, usable information uh, and anything that helps us educate the next generations, right. man, I am all about that. You know, and, and this thing about homeschooling, what is the main goal in learning? It, if, if they could have taught me one thing in school, the thing that I wish that they would have taught me is how to research stuff, mm -hmm. how to find the answers, mm -hmm. not know that, not teach you the answers, but how you can find the answers. And if we could just teach our kids that, then a kid could learn to change a light bulb and a kid could learn to use a screwdriver and how to find a recipe or to bake or whatever, you know, and they just didn't teach us that. Did they teach you how to do a checkbook at school? So um, I graduated high school in 1984. Um, and so things weren't completely off the rails crazy by that time. Uh, very shortly thereafter, I think things got, you know, more about culture and less about actual, you know, the nuts and bolts of learning. Um, but in high school, I did take a class that we learned how to balance a checkbook, how to search in the... Um, the newspaper there's this this paper microfish no it was actual paper and there were want ads in there and people would post jobs i'm like dating myself right does that even happen anymore now it would probably be like indeed or something like that and that's a whole different skill but we would have to go into the the paper and find an actual job that we would actually be um uh qualified for Right. And then we'd have to say, well, how much does that pay? And then we would have to find an actual place to live that was listed somewhere in a, a news journal or a, a, you know, real estate magazine or something in our area. Make a budget for food, make a budget for clothes. We did do that in school. So it wasn't, it wasn't all I needed, but it was something. And now, like with Dave Ramsey, I know they've got whole curriculum yep. that I wish would be in more schools, but it's really in depth, I, I imagine. I haven't really looked at it myself, but I know what Dave Ramsey stands for. But let me say this. So in, in my public schooling, I, you know, I got the basics, but it was sort of like, it was memorization, right? right. They'd feed you this you spit it back out so that they go, they can check their list and go, right. okay, this one listened enough to know this, right? Or to be able to repeat this. When I went to college, I have my master's degree now. I've, I've had it for, you know, three, four years, something like that. I, I went to school very, very slowly over the course of many, many years, um, being self-employed and a mom and all of that. It took me a long time. 
But during college is when I learned how to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wish that there was more of that, you know, learning how to learn in the younger ages. And I don't know, I keep, I feel like God keeps bringing this word homeschooling into our presence and putting yes. people in our pathway that are doing it successfully, have done it successfully. So I'm feeling that pressure and I'm like, all right, just keep telling it to us. Well, you like know? you said, though, you know, like Connor said, okay, so homeschooling is not an eight hour day. Right. It's not even a five hour day. Right. It's directing your kids, letting them do the work and then checking the work afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's not like you're at a classroom as a teacher for five, six hours a day mm -hmm. with a lunch break. Yeah. It's not like that. Well, and you know, the other day I was thinking, you know, we have a, um, a two-year-old granddaughter and, you know, like learning a language, mm -hmm. like I, there's languages out there that I would like to learn. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, I don't put any time into that. And I'm like, well, Kinsley learned one of the hardest language. We all did. Right. We all learned one of the hardest languages there is um, English. And, and guess even what? at the age of two, she understands nuance right. and humor. And when you're serious and, you know, different ways to use the same word. And how did she do that? She learned from her sister and us right just by right interacting and the thing is it wasn't this formalized you know it was repeat back the verbs to us right. you know it was, and it was harder for Raylan to learn because she didn't have mm -hmm. she didn't have the uh help from another one her age all the time mm -hmm. so the younger one is learning quicker mm -hmm. because she's seeing the experiences that the older one is going through mm -hmm. And so if parents would do that at home more, mm -hmm. you know, it's true. Kids can learn from each other very informally. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's very striking when what you think, the you one know, thing, how though, do we learn? We learn just by experience. The one thing that I think that schools give us value that doesn't give, you know, at homeschooling is socialize to socialize because all we're doing now is doing it by phone and doing it by TV, you know, the, the zoom meetings zoom and, and stuff. All, right. And you know what? I, I agree, but I also have talked to enough people now that, you know, there are homeschooling groups, groups right? Right. So the kids still get to make friends and, yeah. you know, do projects together and things like that. So um, I really think that this is the wave of the future and the future is not very far away right. because people are getting very dis, um, disheartened, uh, I guess. Well, when you find out that your kids are learning schooling. about uh, all this other crap that's going on, yeah. and they're, you know, they've been feeding this to the schools, mm -hmm. socialism, mm -hmm. slowly. Yeah. So, right. All right. Well, what it? a fun interview. I, that was great. I, I, I love having Connor on. We're definitely going to have him back on again. He'll probably have like 90 more books written by the time I invite him on. But um if you would like to watch or share this video with a friend or watch any of the videos that we've ever made, uh, please go to uh, YouTube or you can go to GunStreamer or the smartphone app called OpsLens. And uh, all of our episodes are there since the time that we've been doing video. We started as a radio right. show. So there's a lot of years that don't appear there yet. And because of that, we don't have like a huge following just yet on like our, pardon me, our YouTube or our gun streamer. 
but uh, you can help out with that by uh, raising your pinky finger and clicking the subscribe and the notifications button. And that way you stay on top of when we've just now freshly published our latest episode. Um, also, if you like just listening to the audio only version, that's helpful if you're out, you know, having a bike ride, taking a walk, taking a drive, uh, then go to our website. Or waiting in line to vote. Waiting in line to vote. Uh, boy, we're going to blink and it's going to be time to vote again, right? Uh, go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the on demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content. Darling. All of the episodes we have there, darling. And if you'd like to look at photos and links and bios of all the guests we've ever had on, go to the guest tab. It's a great resource. And when you spend time there, we do not hate it at all. What are we going to do until next time, babe? We're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for pray, our How country. about for the world? Babe, Let's pray for the world. It's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. It is a mess. It is a mess. We're going to pray for our nation. Pray for our world, right? Yeah. What else are we going to do? Pray for our politicians. Okay. That they learn to be not um, socialist rulers, but representatives representatives absolutely right. how about the ones we don't like i, I, I can't especially. how many how many how much time do you have for maybe me to tell especially you especially for the ones we don't oh like. oh that oh you just want general yeah oh general yeah <laughs> we should pray for them too if we're talking about general uh, yeah, we should pray right. for some of them need actual more than prayer mm. well we all need prayer right yeah, sometimes they need more <laughs> i don't know what that is but they need our constitution that's yes. what they need the reminder, right? They need yeah. the how not to suck book that Connor Boyack wrote, right? Yes. All right. Well, until next time, be good to each other. Have so a great week. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So I just think, how about a constitution for, it's called a constitution for dummies and politicians. <laughs> that would be an awesome title, wouldn't it? And politicians. And politicians. I like it. I like it. I like it. I'm sorry to interrupt your beautiful <laughs> mm. uh, goodbye. Mm-hmm. But now we'll say goodbye. Okay. Till next week. Have a good week. Be good to each other. And God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.